see, we are getting we're gearing up for the uh, the holiday season. We're gearing up for Christmas, of course. I pray that everything's going well with you. You're not getting too stressed out and financially strained on trying to buy gifts to impress people that you don't even like. No, <laughs> but that you get and you uh, receive all as the Lord has blessed you with and and gives you the ability to number one spend time with your family, right? Um, I, I want you to know something. I don't know if Ken announced it. I, I asked him. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if he announced it or not, but we, we're going to have on December the 31st, we're going to have our very own New Year party, okay? So uh, we're going to count down three, two, one. Happy New Year, because we're going to do it at noon. Right after church, we're going to have, uh, you know, 15 minutes uh, prior to, we're going to get together. We're going to pray out the old year and pray in the new year. And uh, we're going to count down just like if we were going to do it at uh, a Times Square. And uh, so if there's uh, anything that you'd like to bring or be a part of, we'd love for you to join us and celebrate uh, what God has done this last year and to look forward into what he's going to be doing next year in our lives and within our church. Amen. So you're all invited. Uh, bring your party favors, your hats if you'd like. And uh, we're going to have a good time. Uh, and this way you can go home and uh, be at home and uh, until all the bullets stop flying. And uh, you don't you don't get hit. We, I want you to be at home. It's safe. We used to do this on New Year's Eve uh, late at night. As a matter of fact, there was a time that we would baptize our new believers on New Year's Eve. And, uh, you know, talk about being cold. We'd have the baptistry outside. We used to use a horse trough and uh, and uh, or a uh, swimming pool. And we'd set it up outside. This is before the amphitheater was there and before we had our, our baptistry. And right at midnight, we would baptize all our new believers Brand new believers, brand new year. And uh, that was pretty cool. And instead of God's chosen people, we would call them God's frozen people. Because it, uh, it was pretty cold out there. But uh, this year, we're going to do it at noon. It's, it's getting late. It's getting more dangerous, more people on the road. And, and we want you to stay at home. But for those of you that are going to be out, be careful, okay? So don't forget our noon year party on December the 31st. Open up your Bibles to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up chapter 3. Here pretty soon. But uh, first of all, we have to go into Paul's final statements. As a matter of fact, I like uh, the word that he uses here. Um, you know, as he as he continues on in in in, in uh, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter three, he says, "Finally, loipa, loipas is is uh, the word that he uses. It's it's finally. You know, it's and, and you would think, okay, that he would be." pausing or he would be fine okay i'm done finally these are my last things that i'm going to say but actually it as we know paul is not using this as saying okay now i'm going to conclude in conclusion no he's saying i am transitioning from what i just said about the second coming of christ and i want you to put this into practice and here's how i want you to put this into practice because you heard the word of christ and you received it gladly and you received it with open arms and you received it when you first heard it you must be Maybe assuming that as I preach the gospel to other people, that they too are receiving it in the same eager manner that you did. And then you look around and you wonder, how come they don't get it? How come they're not understanding it? Well, this is what Paul is trying to get at at this point. And I want you to know that if there's anything in the world that a pastor would want for Christmas, anything in the world that he would desire from his flock, anything in the world that he would want uh, to be received, to, to receive from his congregation, it is not the gifts, it is not the finances, it is not the love and adoration. This here is a model prayer that every pastor ought to pray that his congregation do. And I want to walk you through this in a very, uh, very expository way, looking at this, these scriptures and also uh, others as well. And, uh, and he says here, and I'm just going to read the first five verses. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Father in heaven, more than anything else, more than any gift or compensation of any type, I do believe that this is the desire, should be the desire of every pastor. In the time of giving and receiving of gifts, 
I pray that this congregation learn and understand that the greatest gift that they can give any pastor are these four or five things that we're going to talk about today. And so, Father, I pray that your, your word is delivered in a way that is understandable. And, and Lord, it's, it's your word. And you're going to make it flourish and grow. There's nothing that I have to add to it. I don't have to try to be clever or I don't have to try to be uh, to, to try to think be relevant because your word is always relevant. And I pray, Father, that uh, that as we go through this portion of Scripture, as Paul has ministered to these, this young church in Thessalonica, that we too can minister to one another through these verses. Lead us this morning in all things. We pray these things in Jesus name. And everyone says. Amen and amen. Being a pastor is one of the highest calling, I believe, of all. Uh, it's, it's a high responsibility, but it's also a high calling that uh, gives you and allows you to be able to minister to people and intercede on their behalf as we pray for our church and our congregation. And, uh, and the Bible teaches us that, there's, that anyone who teaches the word of God and offers himself as a spiritual shepherd should meet a highly, uh, highest and divinely established standard. And the Bible is clear on the standards of what a pastor should be. He doesn't need to be educated. He doesn't need to be, uh, you know, strong. He doesn't need to be young. He doesn't have to be old. Those qualifications aren't, aren't in there. Though a pastor is called an elder, it, it, it presumes that the person is at least a little mature. But there are some very, uh, very straightforward points that a pastor and a leader should be. And it's interesting because we're coming to the end of First and Second Thessalonians. Paul, as you remember, is talking to a very young church. He preached the gospel, was run out of town, and he was concerned about what happened to that gospel message. When he sent word to find out what was going on, Timothy came back and Silas, and this is why well, you won't believe what happened, Paul. These guys are just flourishing. They're sounding out the gospel. They're proclaiming everything you taught them. Now, they're struggling. They're, you know, they, they, they have this understanding because you did talk to them about the end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they're wondering if this is already what's happened. Because they are going through some afflictions, like you told them what's going to happen at the end times. And so Paul writes them the first Thessalonians. He tells them, look, you know, I want you guys to be, to be, not to be concerned. Don't be uh, uninformed. As a matter of fact, one of the things that the, uh, the young church was, was worried about was, you know, we know Jesus Christ is coming back, but, but what about my mom? She was in Christ and she died. And what about my dad? What about my kids? Some of them died of sicknesses, you know. You know, what, what's going to become of them? And Paul wrote to them and told them, look, those who die in Christ, they are resurrected first. And then those of us who are left behind, we're going to be caught up with him. And so there was a letter or some word being spoken. And they told the, they were telling the people in Corinth or excuse me, that's all Micah. That Jesus Christ had already returned. As a matter of fact, Paul said, so look, we got a letter. And Paul says, that's not my letter. That's not my writing. And uh, he's going he's gonna to sign his letter here in a bit. And we'll, we'll see that. He says, I, I didn't write that. You know, you, you know, I've told you this. You know when the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to be revealed. And he gives us some steps. And we, we went through those as well. You know, there's this, this falling away. There's this apostasy. There's this deception. There's all these various things that must take first, first uh, place first of all. And it was interesting because when we went through that, <coughs> Thank you. I was a little bit off balance there, so I feel better now. <laughs> and and uh, as we uh, <laughs> as we went through that, Paul is talking to them about the uh, the second coming and, and the Antichrist and how he's going to show himself. And so they were thinking it's it's already happening. Look at all the persecution we're going through. And so Paul calms their fears and he says, you know, these are some of the things that you need to understand. And as we went through it, if you remember correctly, that's when the war in Israel broke out. And so that was a very deep concern. And, and if you remember correctly, when we were in First Thessalonians, I was kind of struggling with, you know, should, should I go into the end time, you know, events now? And I'm glad I didn't because I was able to expound on that during that time when people were genuinely concerned and everybody was focusing. As a matter of fact, there were so many, uh, there were so many uh, sermons that were out there online on First Thessalonians chapter four thirteen about the second coming of Christ. Many of them on Second Thessalonians chapter two about the lawless one or the Antichrist. And everyone, I, I didn't hear or listen to many, many of them, but I pray and I hope that most of them at least, uh, you know, didn't try to get into charts and everything else, but laid it out and saying, look, these things must happen first. Do not be concerned. Do not be anxious. Don't, do not be afraid. And so when we come to this point, Paul is going to talk to us about some of the things that he wants his church to be concerned about, to be doing. And beginning in January, actually, we're going to finish off the year in 1 Timothy. 
First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus are, are what they call pastoral epistles. The, these are requirements of what a deacon and well, pastor, a deacon, and elder should be, and how it is that they are to manage their, their 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 homes and just the various things that we're going to be going through. And for some of you, you might think, man, that's a heavy calling. That's a high standard. Well, yeah, it's perfection. It really is. This, this is the perfect uh, model, and we know that we're not perfect people, but it doesn't mean we can't strive for it. Amen. We want to strive for this. And so when we get into First and Second Timothy, I pray that you will be able to glean for yourself in the areas that you see that the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you that you can begin to work in. This is why we have the Doctrines of Grace class. This is why we have Fundamentals of the Faith. This is why we have a membership class. This is why we have women's Bible studies, children's Bible studies, uh, Sunday school. This is why we have this so that we can learn and see. And, and, and I pray that we can help you become what Jesus Christ has called you to be. Because as a pastor, uh, what, what, what Peter had asked Jesus during the, after he had resurrected, before he ascended, and they're, in, they're at the, sea, the, the side of the shore, they're, they're eating breakfast, the fishermen were out fishing, Jesus is at the shore, he's cooking breakfast for them, and they're all sitting there with him, and they're really marveled at the fact that he looks, he looks good after being you know, beat up and tore up from the floor up, as some people would say. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and Jesus, Jesus pretty much pointed out to Peter, look, Peter, this is what I want you to do. And, and he tells him in John 21, 17, he said, he said to them the third time, he says, you know, first of all, he said, Peter, you know, I, I want, do you love me? He says, yeah, I love you, Lord. And then feed my sheep. Oh, Lord, you know, I'm going to do that. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Yes, I do love you, Lord. <coughs> and he says, feed my lambs. <clears throat> the third time, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? You know, by this time, Peter was kind of like, you know, why, why are you doing this to me, Jesus? I mean, why are you, are you, are you throwing this in my face because I, I denied you three times? You're going to tell me this three times? Why, why are you doing this to me? I'm sure he felt cut to the heart. I'm sure he felt very low and, and not understanding and re- re- thinking that, you know, Jesus is just, you know, pouring down on him his own, his own sin and everything else. But what Jesus was doing was trying to solidify in this pastor as well as every other pastor. He's trying to say, feed my sheep and be careful what you feed them. Don't just feed them garbage. Feed them good stuff. Feed them the word. Don't feed them your own personal experience. I mean, you can talk about that, but don't feed them the, the, the things that are relevant in this world about all these things of homosexuality and all these things about transgenderism. You know, don't get into politics. Politics... You know, it's going to be, they've been, it's been around for so many years. It hasn't fixed anything. Feed my sheep the word of God. I want you to feed them. He says, he says to him, son of Simon, son of Jonah, John, do you love me? Peter was so grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep, feed them. And that is the responsibility of a pastor to do so, to feed the sheep. And, and it's interesting that not many people want to eat what the Lord has to give. And I'm not responsible for those that, I'm not even responsible for your actions. I'm responsible to you to give you what the word of God says. And I like the fact that we've been going book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we don't skip anything instead of giving you what I want you to hear. Again, in Acts chapter 6, he, he uh, the disciples, they realized this, Peter and James and John and every, they all realized that the ministry was getting out of hand and they were trying to do all the work themselves. And finally, they, they called together a bunch of uh, people and they, out, of these, the, out of these men, they chose seven faithful with, with wisdom, men full of the spirit, not educated. They weren't, you know, the professionals. It wasn't, you know, the, the youngest or the oldest or whatever the case may be. But these men were full of the spirit. And the disciples looked over them and says, look, I, we want you to take care of the needs of the church. Take care of the needs of the church because we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Not the ministry of the homeless or not the ministry of the food pantry, not the ministry of the social issues, not the ministry of politics. Not the ministry, you know, I don't want to get myself, you know, we don't want to get ourselves all caught up in the po- political arena. We don't want to get ourselves caught up in the, especially in the social uh, stuff that they were doing. The visitation, the widows, the orphans. He says, I want you guys to do this. You guys do this so, so that we can focus on what the word of God says, what Jesus said, and what he wants us to get out is the pastor's responsibility. 
As a matter of fact, Paul told the elders in Ephesus before he was arrested in Jerusalem, and he gathered them all together, and he says, look, you for I, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, not just part of the counsel, not just some of the things that I like, not just the Psalms, not just the beautiful parts. God is love. God is grace. God is forgiving. God is merciful. Yes, he is. God is, is, is all about me, but you know, he's also just. He's also, there's a wrath that you are under if you're not under the, the banner of grace. There is a wrath that is coming and it is being revealed right now to those that do not want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the sad reality of that, beloved, is that some of my friends and family are under that wrath. And it is my responsibility to share the gospel with them and be able to deliver it to them and, and, and to, to give that message to them. And my responsibility is to show you how to do the same thing, is to give you the fact that the gospel message is for those who will believe. And it's unfortunate that not everybody's going to believe. We'll find that here in just a little bit. But Paul says, I did not shrink to declare from, uh, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is a calling. You don't apply for it. I never applied for this job. It's not something that, you know, that, that somebody picks you to do. God calls you, and the congregation confirms it, and you move with that. And so Scripture is, is, is clear of the duties and responsibilities, as I said earlier. Uh, in First Thessalonians, we looked at this in chapter 5. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. There, there, there is this, this understanding that the pastor is to be responsible to you and the responsibility of the congregation for the shepherd. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says it again in 1317. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. More than any other verse in Scripture, this one causes me to shudder. More, uh, keep watch over as those who will have to give an account. One day I'll have to give an account. One day he's gonna, God's going to say, well, you know, what happened to that guy? Well, yeah, that guy was hard-headed. Well, you know, when he gets here, I'll talk to him. But what happened to you? Well, you know, he just wouldn't listen. When he gets here, I'll talk to him. But what did you do as a pastor, as a leader? What was your responsibility to do? You were to feed him. You were to feed that family. You were to take care of them, pray over them. That was your responsibility. And you were to give them the right diet not just stuff from the world well god it, it just seemed like a good thing to do we had a lot of fun yeah are they are they laughing now and that scares me beyond any measure and so the writer to the hebrews goes on and says let them do this with joy not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you so there are roles that the congregation does and there are roles that the pastor does and and here we start to see paul's heart as always he wants to show himself to the congregation. And I pray that in this portion of scripture that we're reading, that you would see what it is that Paul desires. And as I said earlier, this should be the desire of every pastor. This is my desire. Number one. Well, first of all, before I get there, in verse one, he says, finally, brothers, pray for us. You know, and I covet your prayers. And I have a hard time sometimes asking for your prayers. But, you know, when I started to see how Paul was asking for prayers, I want this prayer. I want this prayer from you to me, that the word of the Lord, and we'll talk about this, may spread. You know, because there's a lot of energy that goes into My wife and I were talking about this last weekend. There's a lot of energy that goes into this, the, the, the reading and the deciphering and the going over the verses and the scriptures and being able to, to present and, and to, to to give and, and and the transitions and just a lot of the things that we were in. And I make it look easy now because, well, I've been doing this for a lot of years. But it, it's it's kind of awkward if, and I don't know, if you've ever had to stand up and speak in front of anybody, one or two or ten people, you know. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it doesn't come really easy. And I've never was a public speaker prior to this and until God gave me the ability to do so. And so Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And so as he's asking for prayer, he's asking that you you lift up, uh, that the church lift up the pastor and give them the strength, not only the physical strength, but more importantly, the spiritual strength to be able to tap into the resources that the Holy Spirit gives you. This is another verse that's not in your outlines, but 
It's in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If nothing else, I'm going to do it because he died for me. He died for me. And I cannot be going on my own strength, on my own ability. I need for you to pray for me to stop holding on or stop trying to depend on my own whatever. Strength, charisma, ingenuity, smarts, whatever. You know, I don't want to be relevant. I want to tap into the Holy Spirit and into his word and to be able to give to you uh, the things that, that, that I, I, need to, I need to give to you from God's word. You know, it's interesting that places that Paul went to, he went to places that people didn't want to hear him. Matter of fact, he wasn't even invited in many places. Matter of fact, he was kicked out of a lot of the places that he went to. And, but he continued to preach. And that was only because of his ability to depend on the Holy Spirit. There's times that I am confronted with a congregation or a bunch of people due to a, a wedding or whatever the case may be or a funeral. Uh, just, just a time that I can get, gather a lot of people. And there are people that walk out. They don't want to hear the message. I'm not there to entertain. I'm not there to give them, you know, the tickling ears. I'm there to help them to see that we are all sinners and we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And so Paul is saying, you know, there, there's, there's people out there that are very abusive and, and, and negative, and they talk behind your back, and they say things because, well, you know, first of all, most of the time it's because they don't want to hear the truth. Or it offends them. This is what Paul was saying. Pray for us. Number one, I don't want you to pray for me to, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, or that God takes care of my knees, my back, or whatever the case may be. You know, that God continues, you know, pray for me in general, if you like. But here's my number one prayer. And here's the prayer that Paul says, pray for the speed of the gospel message. Pray for the speed of the gospel message. Finally, Paul says, yeah, finally, like I said, loipos, finally, you know, oh, he's going to get finished. No, loipos meant, you know, well, now for the rest of it. And, and besides that, and as I'm going through this, a transition. <coughs> <coughs> He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Remember, Paul talked to the people in Thessalonica, young group, young bunch of people got, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They got saved right away and they started to share that with other people. Then Paul is saying, how come other people, I mean, excuse me, uh, the Thessalonians are probably thinking, why aren't other people receiving it the way we did? And Paul has to remind them, look, I want you to pray that it continues to speed like the way it did with you guys, like the way you guys first of all heard it and how it just happened to, to just blow up and how it sounded before you. And his request is a reminder that even the newest believers have the privilege and the honor in the spirit through prayer to participate. You have that honor and that privilege to participate in the speed of the gospel. If you were to pray for your pastor, the leaders of this church, those that are coming up, to pray that the gospel message is fast and quickly being proclaimed. You know, and, and it, the gospel message is very offensive because first and foremost, it calls out people to be sinners. And people don't like to be called sinners. And when you call people sinners, oh, he's just being negative. Oh, you know, he's just being antagonistic. Oh, you know, he's just being hateful. He, you know, he doesn't like or doesn't, you know, and, and all, right away people get defensive. And they come up with all kinds of ideas and excuses. Instead of saying, have mercy upon me, Lord, I am a sinner. Because we all are sinners. We all come to that point in life where we're at. And, and he wants the word of the Lord to be proclaimed a speed. Trecho literally means to spread on or to make progress. I want the word to, to just continue to make progress. And I'm going to do whatever I can underneath being pushed and being held up by the prayers of you, Paul says. You know, Paul, Paul at this point in time, when he's writing to them, he's in a city called Corinth. The people in Corinth, the Corinthians, I don't know if you've ever heard it said, but they lived in such a debauched and evil and ugly way that people would say to, to others that were acting all kinds of weird and ugly and drunken and, you know, slanderous and very, very whatever, whatever word you can think, very debauched way. They would say, oh, you've been Corinthianized. It's kind of like saying, oh, you've been to San Francisco. 
<laughs> or you've been to Vegas, haven't you? What stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas should have stayed in Vegas. But it looks like you brought Vegas with you, didn't you? And they would, tell, they would call people, those that were the vilest and the cruelest and the ugliest and the crudest, they would call them and say to them, you have been Corinthianized because you live in that city. You've been there, haven't you? And most of the time they say, yeah, you know, I like partying there, so what? Because that's the way it was. And this is where Paul was at. And so you can imagine, and it was, he was trying to preach the gospel to people, and people just didn't want to hear it. They hated him. They had him stoned one time. They drug him out of the city and killed him, and he came back to life. God brought him back to life because he wasn't ready yet. He had been whipped. He'd been prisoned, shipwrecked. He, all kinds of things had happened to him, but he continued on because of the prayers of the saints. Paul says um, in Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 19, and part of this verse is in your outlines, but it says this, you know, after he talks to them about the putting on the spiritual armor, he says, I want you to pray for me, praying at all times in the spirit with all, power, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication is asking humbly, to ask in a very humble and gentle manner for the saints. Pray for the saints. And he, and he says, and for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul was always looking for that prayer to be able to proclaim the gospel. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 4. Uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it and with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. See, and, and so... What they wanted was God's word to be honored, to be received, to be, uh, to, to be welcoming because he knew that it wasn't going to be that. And it's not. Most people don't want to hear the gospel message. They want to hear how good God is and how much he wants to bless you, how much he wants to take your, your, uh, your, your weaknesses. He wants to take your, your health issues and make you better and fi fix your finances. He wants to fix your marriage. He wants, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, when we get to, uh, on Christmas Eve, I'll be praying on peace. And peace, Irene in Greek, and shalom in Hebrew, uh, it, it, it's, it's not the peace that you're thinking of. Peace on earth and mercy mild is the whole concept behind Christmas. You know, Jesus came, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to bring division, not to bring everybody together. Not so everybody can get along. Let's just all get along. It, that, that wasn't the case. I have a call for you as my disciples to separate yourself. And when you separate yourselves, you're going to have to make a choice. Am I, is my family more important to me than Jesus Christ? Or is Jesus more important to me than my family is? And when you make the choice to, your, to, to Jesus Christ, then it's going to cause division. People are not going to be happy with that decision you make. <coughs> as a matter of fact, they may even get hostile. Number two. Paul says, pray for the safety of the gospel messengers. Pray for the safety of the gospel messengers. 2 Thessalonians 32 says that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Not all have faith. What is that saying? There are some people that God gives the faith to, and some people they don't get it. Not all have faith. We've gone over this with... Um, you know, with the limited atonement, not all get the faith. Not all, not all are able to do it, and so not all are atoned for. We, we, we've heard this a couple of times in, in our Doctrines of Grace class, that not everybody is elect. Not, every, not everybody is, and we know that because the Bible teaches that. Yet somehow, uh, regardless of, of what they, a person does in his life, everybody ends up in heaven. And so what Paul is saying, you know, deliver us from these men that are wicked, that are trying to distort the truth, that are trying to hurt us. Not only are they wicked, but they're evil. They're not only wicked, but they're evil in a sense where they want harm to come upon us and stir everybody else up. The wickedness is the maliciousness of being attacked by, by words, but this, this evil to want to hurt us and even get rid of us and squash that. Pray that we can be deli delivered from that. And it wasn't necessarily that they didn't want to be harmed because they went into some very, very dark places. <coughs> and it's not that they didn't want to, it's not that they wanted to be safe. I mean, yes, they wanted, they wanted to be safe, but more importantly, they wanted to have the opportunity to share the gospel in the midst of these evil, wicked men. 
Look at uh, Romans 15, 30. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. I want to be delivered, I, I, not because of my health, not because I, I want to feel good, not because of, you know, everybody's talking bad about me. I want to continue to pray, preach the gospel. I want to keep going. I want to keep going. And, and he, he constantly faced hostility in the ministry. And, and look at verse uh, sec, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, because we wanted to come to you. He says, I, Paul, again, again, but Satan hindered us. There is this hindering sometimes that Satan just kind of pops in the way of evil and wicked men. Satan himself doesn't show up, but he causes occasions to, to be able to be roadblocked in a sense. And so the saints probably assumed that because they had received the gospel so eagerly, like I said earlier, that everybody was receiving it early, you know, just like you. Like some of you, the first time you heard the gospel message, yeah. Well, that makes sense. How come it doesn't make sense to my, my brother or my sister? Uh, how come it doesn't make sense to my friends? You know, the more I tell them, it's like, the, the yeah, it, the worse it gets. Because they don't want anything to do with that. Number three, Paul's prayer. He says, you're going to pray for me? I want you to, uh, if you, you, you're going to do something for me? You're going to give me something? My desire, first and foremost, is to, that you trust in the Lord's security. That's what he said. I want you to trust in the Lord's security. You know, when a pastor preaches on don't worry, do not be anxious. When a pastor preaches, my God will, will deliver you. My God will supply all your needs. When a pastor preaches that, 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 that God is going to uh, raise you up on the last day and give you eternal life, and people live that way, you start to live and trust in God's security, as we talked about last week. Remember that? We talked about last week that there's things that, that may happen. In verse 16, we, we, we talk, well, actually 13 on, he, he says, stand firm, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel as so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our word, spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Paul says, you know, I, I thank God because of what he's done in your life. I, I always thank God for you, and, and I ought to always thank God, but I want him to establish this word. I want this to be established in you. And again, here in this verse, he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And that's that's the interesting thing that we know this intellectually. Oh, God's got my back. Oh, God is my my rock and my fortress. God is God is my hope and my salvation. But somehow, when we the first sign of any kind of experience that we go through, any kind of you know trauma or disease or sickness or whatever the case, at the first sign of it, we fold and we we crumble and we're depleted. Oh my God, the world's come to an end. You know and. and a pastor's desire is that you learn how to trust in God's security, in the security that God has given you. When you grow, and I've seen you grow, I've seen you grow in such a way that that has happened in your life. When you recognize this and you see this in your life, I've seen it, how, how you used to be and how, you know, maybe you don't see it as much as I do, but, but I do. You know, because this is how some had come to uh, to North Park. Some people came to the church. Some people that have moved on and, and keep growing. I, I see them go through these things. And and some, some of you have been through some very difficult things. But you're standing firm. And this is Paul's prayer. I want you to trust in the security of God. I, I know it's going to hurt. I know you're going to cry. I know you're going to mourn. And I know you're going to, uh, you, you know, but it's not going to, it's not going to blow you away. You haven't made what we used to call in Celebrate Recovery, which was a, a 12-step program, and, and I hope you haven't, they, they, would, they would say, look, we have no reservations. Now, what that means is that in, in the 12-step recovery program, people have this idea in the back of their mind. They make a reservation. And I don't, make a, I don't mean like an Indian They make a reservation like in a hotel. They make a reservation if 
X, Y, or Z happens, then I'm going to go out and just buy me a bottle of whiskey and get drunk. Or if X, Y, and Z happens, then I'm going to go out and just do a bunch of drugs and have, you know, just, just to get it all. If this happens, then I've already made my reservation, and they have it in the back of their mind that this is what they're going to do. Because, you know, I deserve it. Because this happened to me. Because this, I'm going through this in my life. I've made a reservation to go back to the world for, I don't know, for some time. And I'll come back later because I know Jesus Christ is going to forgive me. No reservations. As a matter of fact, what a pastor desires is for you to stand firm, to be established. To be established and firm and ready in the event that something happens, I'm ready for it, Lord. I'm ready for it. In the event that something happens, I'm ready for it. Okay, here I am. That's my reservation. If I'm going to make any reservation, I'm going to be established so that when it happens, and it will, you live long enough, something's going to happen. You know, and, and it will. And, and I pray that you're established as I've seen many of you come to that, that crossroad and you have stood your ground and you start to understand that this is what the Bible says. And Paul's prayer was that, you know, you guys are going through a lot of tribulations. No, no Jesus Christ hasn't come yet. No, I, I know you're going through a lot, of, a, a lot of experiences. There's a lot that's going on in your life, a lot of persecution, and you think that this is the tribulation. You think that this is what, no, I understand you're going through it, but I, I want to pray that you are established in your faith, that you're established and you guard against the evil one because greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he, the evil one, that is in the world. What you have inside of you is bigger, greater. He created, he handles, he manages the evil one. The evil one has no power over you except for what you give him. Oh, beloved, and he's going to want to give you as much confusion and to, to be able to just call it quits. In, in 2 Timothy, as I said, we're going to be going through a, a lot of this. And, and these, this first verse, 16 through 17, is not in your outline, only 18. But, but it says this. He says, uh, in, starting in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. In other words, he's saying, you know, I, I was at a point, Timothy, where it, I preached the gospel. I had a lot of people saved. And here I stand alone. You know, I'm, I'm all by myself. He says, but all deserted me. You know, for whatever reason, they started talking to other people. And they, really, you want to listen to that guy? I mean, he's always talking negative. He's always saying that you're going to hell. He's always, you know, why, why, do you, why would you want to listen to him? You know, why don't you come listen to you? Know, I, I got a pastor. He's just like Joel Osteen. Oh, his voice is so smooth and beloved. And I, you know, you can have your best life now. And you don't have to go to hell. No. You know, I don't even know if there's really a hell. That's what he says. And so, I mean, yeah, that sounds good to me. Why would I want to go listen to Paul? You know, because all he's talking about is getting my life right and changing my, you know. I, no, I like my life the way it is. This is my best life now. And he goes on to say, may it not be charged against them. Paul says, you know, these people have left me and they abandoned me. And, you know, I, I have no ill will. I pray, God, I pray that you do not hold them against this because they do not know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're, they're not understanding. They, you know, I've got to work with them some more. I've got to disciple them some more. I've got to teach them more of your word, Lord. And they'll get it. I know. I pray. That, and he's telling Timothy this. His younger son, the son of the Lord, may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that, that, and that, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You know what? Everybody might abandon me as Paul. Everybody might, as Paul is saying, everybody might, might abandon you, but you know what? I, I've got a greater, uh, I got a greater friend. I got a greater, greater ally. I got Jesus Christ himself standing there. What more does a man need, right? What more does a person want? You know, but, but Paul is saying, you know, if you want to do something for me, I want you to trust. I want you to trust in the Lord's security. And I want you to trust that God's word is God's word. He's faithful. Yes, he is. And he, is, he provides spiritually. And he gives you what you need. And he will always be available to you. And he'll be able to handle and, and help you through this world, this evil world, wicked system. And he can give you, set you on right ground. You, you know, and there's all kinds of things that have come your way. There are all kinds of things that are going to happen to you. But as Paul told the people in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. 
Oh, I've proven that over and over and over again, Paul says. Me, personally, your pastor, has proven that over and over and over again. God is faithful. God is faithful. The temptations that I've fallen into is because of my own stupidity, not his. Not because of what he did to me or what the devil did to me or what somebody else did to me. It happened because my own, my own, I really believed at that time the choice I was making was the best choice. And it wasn't. See, and God is faithful. He says, no temptation. There's nothing in the world that's going to overtake you. That other people are going, other people are going through the same temptations that is common to man. God is faithful because, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. You see, this is a promise. You will be tempted to that ability. You will be brought to a point where it's going to seem like you can't, you won't be able to handle it on your own. I don't know if you ever heard that, that, that statement or that expression, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, yes, he does. See, because he doesn't want you to handle it. He wants you to let God to handle it for you. He'll give you that temptation. And some people say, oh, I, had, I was so tempted, I couldn't handle it. Because God wouldn't give me anything I couldn't handle. So I guess, you know, he gave me this one. But what God is saying, what Paul is saying, but with the temptation, because you will get tempted beyond your ability, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He gives you that option. There it is. I want you to take this one. And at that point in time, you're going to make the right choice dependent upon what you believe is the right choice. What's best for you at that time. That's when it becomes either sin or holiness. When you make the right choice, it becomes holiness. When you make the wrong choice, it becomes sin. God is not a tempter of sin, I mean of evil. He does not give you these, these uh, sins to commit. <clears throat> and so there, there's, the Bible is full of God's faithfulness over and over again. He will establish you and guard you. You know, He will strengthen you and protect you. And he will guard you from the evil one. Uh, in Jude 1, 24, it says, Not to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Number four. You know, I, I believe that Paul's telling the people in, in Thessalonica, he says, you know, I, I want you to submit to the commands of the Lord. You know, my greatest desire for you as a, as a church, as a people that have been under persecution, Paul says, I want you to submit to the commands of the Lord. He says in verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. He says, I, I have this confidence you know, when you're connected and you're trusting in security, when, you, when you're praying for the speed of the gospel, when, you, when you're, when you're, you're going to submit to the commands of the Lord. Because the commands of the Lord, the, his precepts are perfect, they're right. The commandment of the Lord is pure and enlightens the eye, the psalmist says. And so this confidence that Paul has, he says, I, I know this is in you. Because every person that has committed their life and knows and understands has surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and are following these commands, these, these things happen to them. I've seen it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, part of your commission of what Jesus Christ has committed you to do, when Jesus Christ resurrected and before he ascended into heaven, he came to the disciples and they saw him and they looked upon him and they worshiped him, the Bible says, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20 in your outlines, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What I commanded you to do and that you're doing, as Paul is saying, and I'm confident that you're doing, I have this confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we commanded you because these are the things that we were commanded by Jesus Christ. And so I'm, I'm saying to you, and, and I, I want you to know that I have commanded you to do this, and you're going to do it. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, what greater guarantee can we have? If Jesus himself says, I'll be there. And, and part of the gospel, part of the command is, is the gospel. The gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command. Like Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. 
That's the command. Repent. And the other part of that command is believe. Repent and believe. He didn't ask how many of you would like to raise your hand. How many would like to raise your hand and receive me as your personal Lord and Savior? Jesus didn't say that. He didn't ask, you know, you know please, can you come and, you know, just, just accept. No. He told them, repent and believe. And that's why, that's why we, we are listening to what Paul's saying. And that's why Paul says to the people in the Philippians, you know, I don't want you just to obey the commands while you're in church. He tells them, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the last point that I believe Paul pulls out of this, or that we pull out, and Paul is saying, a pastor's desire is for their people to grow spiritually, to stand steadfast in the love of God. Stand. Stand and grow. Verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Because of his confidence in God's faithfulness to his elect, and based on the delight in obeying God's command, Paul looked at and saw the best for the Thessalonians. And he desired that they continue in their spiritual growth. Like Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. That is a verse that I've memorized a long time ago. That is a verse that I will jot down sometimes in your uh, birthday cards that I send out. I'll give you 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And in case you haven't read it, and I'm sure you have, you know, because if it's in there, I'm sure you're going to look at it. And I'm asking you to go there. But grow. That's something you have to do. But grow. That's your part. In the grace, the grace that God has given you. That's his part. God's given you amazing grace. And grow in the knowledge. That's your part. Understanding, reading, memorizing, understanding the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That's Jesus' part. You see how it's both and? You grow because... Because you, you, are, you are a growing individual. You should be healthy. You should be growing healthily like you're attached to the grapevine. And you're attached, and so you grow. The Bible tells us in John 15 that if you're not growing, and if the vine is not, God just clips you and throws you away. And a pastor's greatest desire is that his congregation not grow numerically. I mean, that would be great as well, but that's not what Paul is asking here. He's asking you to stand firm, steadfast. Steadfast. Don't let nothing move you. <coughs> but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be, why? Not for your glory, not for the church's glory, not so the church can be recognized and stand out as one of the fastest growing churches in San Bernardino or to stand out. No, it is to the glory, to be the glory both now and forever and the day of the day, to the day of eternity, to Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I know that there are a lot of things that seem to hinder us and seem to get in our way. And you may think there are things that, you know, nobody understands. And they may be true. Uh, I, I don't believe personally that you would have a, an, an issue or, or something that is just, just you. There's no one else the, on the planet that's ever gone through the same thing that you're going through. You, you know, I know there's some things that seem very unlikely that might, may have happened to you that it, it hasn't happened to anybody in your family, anybody in your your circle of influence. This is why it's important to belong to a church body because generally within the church body, we are a body of broken people. In other words, we've gone through a lot of stuff and our stuff has messed us up in our life, but we're, we've healed now that God has uh, given us his Holy Spirit. And so we are healed in his name. And we're healed spiritually and we're heal healed emotionally. And, and, and it might seem that in a, in a congregation, a huge congregation, or maybe even a small congregation like this, that you have not gone, that you're, go, you're going through something that nobody else has gone through. And I tried to share that with somebody here just recently, uh, this young man. I says, look, I, I, your situation sounds unique to you. But right now, in our small church, I can point you to three people that have gone or are going through the same thing that you're going through right now. And and, uh, and and I know this because, well, I know you. I know the people that have, these things are going through. And and so the one thing that you have, you can be assured of is, again, going back to the book of Hebrews, that you can be assured of that if there's nobody around you that has not experienced what you've experienced, well, the writer to the Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, we look at Jesus Christ. 
He's perfect. He's pure. He's holy. He, he went to the cross, and, and we think, man, and he did it. You know, I don't think I could ever do that. And, and he got he got whooped and nailed. And, you know, I mean, he's 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 God. And, uh, you know, I could never measure up to that. But here's what he says. But so well, let me go back again. For we do not have a high priest. In other words, Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, your weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ was tempted. And so that, that at least tells you one thing. Number one, it tells you that, well, the temptation is not a sin. No, it's not. If Jesus was, was tempted, and we know that he didn't commit any sin, then we have to surmise that temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with that temptation. And, and the writer says he was tempted just like you are. In every respect, in every way that you were tempted, Jesus Christ was tempted yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you stand steadfast in the Lord, in the love of the Lord. I memorized this verse in the NIV. And instead of saying, let us then with confidence draw near, the NIV says, let us come boldly. I like that word. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And you can come boldly with confidence, with assurance that you're going to receive to the throne of grace, that you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so when you when you look at Paul's prayer, and, and, and I said this earlier, I believe this should be every pastor's prayer, that his church should be praying for the speed of the gospel. Pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for the leadership. Yes. You know, because they're they're mere men as well. They have struggles as well in the things that I just shared with you. Uh, but, but pray for the speed of the gospel. Pray for the safety of the gospel messenger. Trust in, in the Lord's security. Submit to the commands of the Lord and stand steadfast in the love of God. You want to give your pastor something for Christmas? Give him this. Some of you are saying, that's a high order. I'd rather, give you, I'd rather buy you a car. <laughs> Rather by you, Harley. If you want to get me something, I love the tubs of popcorn, you know, with the dividers. You, you know, I like taking out the divider and mixing it all up and eat it together. So if you want to get me something, it's cheap and it's fun. <laughs> no, seriously, you want to get your pastor something? This is what he desires. My belief is what every pastor should desire. Let me ask you to stand. I want you to know that our time of fellowship and our time of worship, our time of the word means a lot. And it means a lot to me and it means, uh, and I know it means a lot to the Lord and I pray that it means a lot to you as well. And, and we're able to gather together on a weekly basis and on a monthly basis, we, we commune um, with each other and with the Lord's table to, to be able to, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Are, are the children coming in? Oh, okay. The, the leaders? As well, we'd like for them to, uh, or the leaders at least. I'm not too sure how they're going to do that. They they're trying different things, but we'd like to come together just to remember, remember the things that the Lord has taught us, and and, and as we we see we see uh, what what Paul is is sharing here with us, he wants us to to be able to to understand God's word, and so my responsibility to you is to feed you, feed you as sheep. Not what the world feeds, what the word of God feeds and gives. And one of the things is our Lord's table. And as I do so, I have to remind you and I have to remind myself that we don't want to do this in an unworthy manner. In other words, we, we desire that our uh, those first and foremost that have been baptized are the ones that take part in the Lord's Supper. Now, to be clear, you're not going to find that. In Scripture, what only those that are baptized, and I want to uh, I want to explain to you why. In in First Corinthians chapter eleven, this is the verse that I usually read 
during the uh, Lord's table. And I generally stop at, um, for as you often, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the cross, until he comes, future. It has a, it has a past effect, remembering what Jesus Christ did, and has a future effect, looking forward to the day that we share this with Jesus Christ. The Lord's table helps us to remember the crucifixion. We talk about his blood. We talk about his body. We talk about his second coming. Uh, and and we, we proclaim the Lord's death, what he did in the past, until he comes, what he's going to do in the future. And the next verse says this, whoever, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And so, you don't you don't find the word baptism in there, but during during the baptism, I I try to educate people on why we do baptism, and what it is that Jesus Christ did for us, and why we. Uh, are baptized. <coughs> the baptism <coughs> is a symbol. And it doesn't give us any special powers. It doesn't save us. We don't get more blessings if we get baptized once or twice or 20 times. But it is a symbol of my commitment to Christ. And there is a teaching moment. And so if you have been baptized, at least through our church here, we, we give you that information. And I pray that as people are baptized uh, in other churches, they are also instructed on what that means and how it is that we are to examine ourselves. Because right now, I am giving you the opportunity to sin gravely. You are able to, to get to the point where, you know what, I don't care what anybody thinks. Nobody knows what's going on in my life. Well, here, here's why it says, uh, you know, not the pastors to examine you, but let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks, and judgment on himself. This is between you and God. And there's been times that, you know, people are just not at that point, and they've neglected, or they've just said, you know, I'm not going to partake of it this time. I'm dealing with a certain specific personal issue. And I would rather that happen instead of the, the results of what this says. This is why some of you are sick. This is why some of you have even died or are dying. But if we judge ourselves, truly, we would not be judged. You would, you would think that if, if it had that much of an effect, when I take it in a bad way, it should have just as well a bigger effect, even more so, if I do take it. It's not saying that. It is saying this. It doesn't add anything to you. It doesn't give you an extra blessing. You don't get a, 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 diff, a more, you don't get closer to God by taking this. This is just the command to do in a proper manner. So with that said, let me ask you to come forward and go out to the back and grab your cup and your juice and your wafer. And yourself. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. I mean that sincerely. <clears throat> Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when, we, when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. We know that this is merely a, a wafer. It is not flesh and will not turn into flesh. But we know that this is something that you've commanded us to do. And those of us that have experienced a Seder supper, we understand where it comes from and how the bread of affliction is what Jesus was able to partake with his disciples. So as we understand this to be a symbol, we take it because it's a command. He said to do this in remembrance of you. And so this morning, as we're remembering that cruel cross on where you suffered and died, we also look forward to when we eat it with you again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Then after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Once again, Father, we thank you for this juice that represents your body. We know that it comes from the cup of redemption. We know that it, it is part of the uh, Seder that you had for your disciples and how you shared this with them. And how this cup, the one cup that Jesus prayed over in the garden when he said, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done, is the cup that we share today in symbolic reverence, in reverence and in symbolism, recognizing that it was the blood that set us free. Thank you for, for the crucifixion and for the resurrection. But Father, we thank you for the uh, coming of Jesus Christ. We know it's to happen. Bless this juice and the vine that it comes from, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Thank you once again, Lord, for this time that we share as you dismiss us now from this place, never from your presence, as we continue on throughout the day with our friends and family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, shake somebody's hand on your way out. Just take off.